my wife, Kimberly, is a breather. Kind of sounds like an accusation, right? Taking a dig on her. You're such a breather. Uh, it's not. It's, it's really not. Not at all. Uh, but don't get me wrong. There are definitely moments where I have placed someone in a box. Uh, loud drinker, loud eater, loud breather. Do you know those people in your life? Anybody? You have those people in your life? I am likely the loud drinker in your life. I stress, genuinely, uh, in my mind, too much time is spent turning it over and over and over of trying not to drink too loudly in quiet spaces. With breathing, I I take notice of how people breathe, especially my wife, Kimberly. I I think we all take some notice of breath. When a young child exhales forcefully after being told what to do, it's clear how they feel in that moment. Uh, The sound of breath, it can communicate many thoughts and feelings and emotions. I ask, I ask my family regularly, even this morning, I ask, what what are you breathing about? Last week I asked and then brought up the word pneumatology. Do you remember what pneumatology is? What is it? Study of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. Study of the Holy Spirit. And breaking down the word, we have ology, which is the study of. And then we have pneuma. And I gave two quick meanings of pneuma. Does anyone remember what those two meanings were? We have have spirit or wind. Those are the ones I offered. Another connected with pneuma is breath. We have spirit, wind, and breath. These words, spirit, wind, and breath, they help us to know and relate to the Holy Spirit. There are great pieces in scripture related to wind and breath. Uh, my first one, we have Acts 2, 1 through 4. Let me, let me just read that. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We also have John. Let me turn there now. Consider John 20, uh, starting in 19. This is the tomb is empty. Only Mary Magdalene has seen Jesus. She has gone and told the disciples this, and they're all kind of like, meh, like they missed something, until we hit 19, John 20, starting in 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, wow. I mean, these are life changing moments. Life changing moments, catalytic events in the lives of those that follow Jesus. And they couldn't go backwards. Can you imagine how they would be breathing after these sorts of events? Would it be racing? Would it be heavy? Would it be calm? 
be light and cheery? I, I don't know. I don't, yeah, no answer. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I don't know. But our breath communicates those things. So when my wife Kimberly breathes, depending on the moment, I can sense the prayer that ended. Do you pray with your breath? As much as breathing is an unconscious thing, we can use it as a conscious thing to live out the Apostle Paul's instruction to pray without ceasing or to be reminded of Acts 17 that it is in God that we live and move and have our being. That with each breath, we live out the gospel. And that scares me to some degree. With every breath, living out the gospel. In my, in my role here at LAFC, I, I hear and see and experience some of the best and worst of church life. Hearing those things, though, it forces me to be in prayer more. And as I pray more for others, the Holy Spirit convicts me. Where I once thought I was innocent, I realize I need to drop my weapons, confess, and recalibrate. Tyler Morris is our assistant director of, of student ministries. And he came to me after reflecting on the series, uh, responding to my sermon last week on gentleness, responding to the fruit of the Spirit. And in his reflection, his language rattled me because it was so true. This is what he said. No one is safe when the Spirit is at work. No one is safe. That as I pray for others, the Spirit works in me. And so following the example of Kimberly, I breathe my own breath prayer. And a single breath in and out, I can say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy. I need to be reminded I need that mercy. And all of this is birthed out of a desire to be obedient. And this is our journey into self-control, our last fruit of the Spirit for this series. If you don't know me, I'm Nicholas Todd. I'm part of Pastor Tony's preaching team for this series. And today, we explore self-control. Not only is self-control the last fruit we'll talk about, this is, this is literally our last message in Recalibrate. Pastor Tony cast a vision for all of this. This is Pastor Tony's words when he said, The Spirit of God is assigned the role of recalibrating those who are redeemed by Christ so that we can experience the amazing life we were intended for. He goes on, this is a journey of learning to live life by the Spirit, experiencing God's transformative work. The Spirit will recalibrate us in a manner that will lead to outcomes, to fruit that will please God and impact others. And so we go to the fruit. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Listen as I read it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your, of your faithful here. Prepare, prepare our minds for your word. And would unity be seen between it all? 
and give birth to holy community. Amen. My reflection of the fruit of the Spirit, ending with self-control, it, I kept coming back to this feeling that self-control is an outsider in this list. Last week, I offered the idea that an easy majority of the fruit of the Spirit orient the Christ follower towards others. And in further reflection, some people spoke to me saying, Pastor, all of them orient in a, in a way that becomes witness, and I'll just say amen and amen. Self-control is still a unique one. Here were some of my thoughts as I prepared for, for this coming Sunday. Just three thoughts. The first is, I think self-control and self-discipline are very closely related. I think they're very closely related. By, by self-discipline, I think of a, an ongoing personal spiritual formation. So I think self-control and self-discipline are very closely related, but they're not the same. Control and discipline, likely in the same family, but not exactly interchangeable. My next thought. I found it really easy to say God is love. God is joy. God is peace. And, and continuing through the fruit of the Spirit. But then when I got to self-control... I paused. I, I, I didn't say God is self-control. And here's why. When I, when I look at the partner list in Galatians, meaning the works of the flesh that precede the work of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, self-control as related to evil desires is not something I would ever put on God. In the mystery of life, I leave this for you all to consider. I, I don't talk about that today. <laughs> my, third, my third thought was self-control is hard to identify in a person. We might be quick to say that someone is loving or joyful, or that someone is full of peace or an example of patience, or, or that someone is really faithful. But saying someone has so much self-control... I couldn't hear myself saying it. I couldn't hear myself thinking, oh, yeah, I've said that out loud before to compliment somebody. And I started to wonder why. Why have I not mentioned that? Why is this not a more common descriptor for people? So today, you're going to get a number of thoughts and a number of definitions on self-control. And this first one, the first one, self-control is a long-term visionary response to walking closer to God. Self-control is when our eye is on the prize. Again, self-control is a long-term visionary response to walking closer to God. It's when our eye is on the prize. And so I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27. Would you follow along with me in your scriptures? First Corinthians 9, 19 through 27. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, 
I became like one under the law, although I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And I think, I think Paul is writing in the same spirit when he writes in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul wonderfully looks at vision and purpose and uses a runner as an example, how they train strictly. And this includes actual running. I would love to become a runner, but I don't like running, so it's going to complicate things, Right? A physical exertion must be made, but it also includes nutrition and what they put into their bodies, as well as Sabbath, or how they rest. They're reaching for a long-term goal, to earn that gold medal. As Christ followers, we exercise multiple disciplines as we aim to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. When we walk with a teacher like Jesus and we aim to mirror his cruciform life so that others might live in that same freedom, and that's the goal. In that process, we will be reformed and recalibrated regularly. There is a self-peace we must we must address. The Spirit does work in our lives and changes us. And as we are changed, we strive, we push, we discipline ourselves to more accurately reflect our Savior. It can be an odd balance of self and spirit. Self and spirit. Is it self or is it spirit? It's an odd balance, but it isn't a new conflict. Which brings me to my second thought on self-control. Self-control is the sound judgment that enables us to do, think, and say the things that are pleasing to God. Again, self-control is the sound judgment that enables us to do, think, and say the things that are pleasing to God. It's the balance of self and spirit. And we can see it in the balance between Pauline writing and the writing of James. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Here it is. Not by works so that no one can boast. And then James writes in James two seventeen, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by works, is what? It's dead. No breath there. 
I like how James goes hard and doesn't play around. I suppose you do this when Jesus is your big brother. I see James regularly echoing the message of Jesus. But are Paul and James in conflict? Pastor Matt is able to recall so much of Pauline writing, and I love to see it overflow from him as he speaks with people. And he made this comment to me this past week in the office, that Ephesians and James are not in conflict with each other. Does Paul, this is a real question for you, does Paul, in all his writings, call the Christ follower to a life of obedience? Yes, yes, absolutely. And so when James is writing, and he writes about works, and you think there's this conflict, when he mentions works, he means obedience to God's word and behaving in a way that is marked by the fruit of the Spirit, behaved in a way that is marked by love, marked by joy, peace, patience, marked by kindness, marked by goodness, faithfulness, and marked by gentleness. So here, James 1, 19 through 26. James 1, 19 through 26. Obedience. Works, yes, but let's think obedience. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. If you're looking for a list of moral filth and evil, you can go right back to Galatians 5 with the works of the flesh. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue, on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. A worthless religion. All those things done, but not for the glory of God. Not out of obedience. Just all these things, and you have a, a dead, worthless faith. And that is so hard to hear. Both Paul and James call us to a life of obedience. Here's a third thought on self-control. Self-control is the internal, below-the-surface fruit that is most often seen in the expression of the other fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is the internal, below-the-surface fruit that is most often seen in the expression of the other fruit of the Spirit. And I believe that's because self-control in isolation is frequently only known when you let someone into your life. And so here's, here's a righteous fight I have for all of us here in community. It is so good that you are here in this room or watching online or listening on the radio. That is marvelous that we have the technology for that. 
So when opportunities come to join a life group, to participate in connection groups, you'll hear more about those in the weeks to come. Take advantage of that. The act of being in a group and honestly telling the group how they can be praying for you. It lets someone into your life to keep you accountable, to ask you questions, and to celebrate successes. Last week, after preaching on gentleness, someone commented on the gentleness with which I communicated it. Because they know that's not me. They have a deeper view of my life. And because of it, they could see that played out in that moment. And so a little bit about me. Self-control, as I reflect on my life, for me is knowing, knowing I'm right about something. But recognizing when I don't have the spirit to communicate it in a way where it can be received. And then to some degree now, now that I've let you into that piece of my life, self-control for you might be not assuming I have lost control when I say something you don't like. And my breath prayer, as I work to keep my mouth closed, as I hope for peace, as I want to speak gently and with conviction, it moves from Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy, which is formed from Luke 18 to God fights for me so I can be still. Formed from Exodus 14. If you'd be willing, I'd love for you to close your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to ask a question. I want you to think about these questions. Do you have people in your life that you can let in? Do you have people that you can confess your difficulty to? You can look at Galatians 5 and confess confess your, your acts of the flesh to. so that they can hold you to what God has called you to. Remind yourself of their names. Say their names to yourself. I pray you've talked with them. I pray you talk with them regularly. If you don't have those people, I'd be happy to talk to you after the service. I'd be happy to connect you as best I can. You can open your eyes. As we close our Recalibrate series, I'd like to invite all of you to join me in taking a slow, deep breath. I challenge you to take a deep breath, slowly. Hold the breath in for just a beat And then slowly exhale. Those who feel 
daunted by a task or anxious in general are encouraged to breathe deeply. And this is for good reason. Medical evidence has shown that doing so significantly helps reduce stress and decreases feelings of anxiety. But breathing is more than just your body's natural stress reliever. We take breathing for granted. Our breath marks the difference between two very significant things. Life and death. Without breath, we die. I said it earlier, the word for spirit can also be translated as breath. Not coincidentally, in today's reading of John 20, Jesus empowers his disciples for their mission by breathing upon them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Breath and spirit. John 20 takes us back to the evening of Easter Sunday to Jesus' first post-resurrection appearance to his friends. He finds them locked away in terror. They were afraid for their lives, afraid that because of their friendship with Jesus, they would share in his fate. And what was his fate? A violent, gruesome death. Those of us who have been kept in a closed room for an extended period of time with too many others know what it feels like. There's a heat. There's that stale, dead air, if you can even call it air. And then you mix in the mood of anxiety and fear that John 20 conjures. I could say nothing of first century hygiene practices. And we can appropriately imagine that that upper room was a pretty miserable, stressful, stinky place to be. It's a pretty unspectacular place for the Holy Spirit's debut. And yet, that is where Jesus goes to meet them. That is where the Spirit rushes upon them. Not where things are happy or sweet-smelling. Not where the disciples felt strong, where they had everything put together. But in the exact opposite place. In the poor spaces of their hearts. The ones that knew sorrow, turmoil, dejection, and terror. That is where the peace of God's spirit was felt most powerfully, where it is needed the most. And what was true then is true now. We've all known the experiences of being locked away, afraid sometimes even to leave our homes. We have known the closeness of death in our families, in our churches among our friends, and in remarkable numbers in the news, we have tasted more deeply than we possibly ever have of our vulnerability in terms of health, but also in terms of work and our livelihoods. And with that, we are a people primed for the breath of life. And Christ comes into our midst this day, just as those many years ago, wishing us peace. And that is very good news. The peace that Jesus brings, the peace of the Spirit, leads to mission. Christ invited his friends to breathe deeply of the Spirit, to empower them, to plunge into what they feared most. And at that moment, it was to leave their space to preach the gospel. After the resurrection, normal was no longer an option. 
that deep breath, that Holy Spirit is what turned a room full of people cowering in fear into apostles, into people on mission. A mission characterized not by force, but by fascination. How can these people live this way? In love, joy, peace. People, uh, people they, just hours beforehand, denied even knowing Jesus to save their own hides. They would, after this moment of inspiration, stare down death because of a conviction that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. So church, take a deep breath again. Remember that you are alive. Remember that God has inspired us as church, has breathed the Holy Spirit into each and every one of his followers. And we ask that spirit to inspire us again because as I'm sure you've noticed, we need it. Just like they did that day. More than just a vague feeling of calm, though, to be inspired means to experience the Holy Spirit moving in us, giving us help, helping us to live not so much without fears, but to live beyond them. Hearts that are ruled by fear, insecurity, and self-consciousness are shackled. They are in chains. And in biblical terms, they are hardened, locked away in an airless room. Many of us know, we know it from the inside, we just don't confess it. Fear and insecurity keep us locked in self-absorption. They blind us to the fruit that the Spirit has produced in ourselves, and that leads us to deny the fruit that is, that is evident in others. Fear may take over our imagination, making us anticipate only the bad and leading us to hopelessness. Fear may make us cling to false sources of assurance and inhibit us from truly loving and being loved. But inspired hearts are free to love beyond fear, to see ourselves as loved by and precious to God, free to acknowledge our giftedness and not be threatened by the giftedness of others. There's a freedom to share ourselves generously, a freedom to work for change in this world, in this church, and not out of resentment, not as an attack, but out of love. Only God's spirit can inspire this kind of freedom in us. Only the spirit is capable of banishing, of breaking our hardness of heart and sending us out on mission. Only the spirit can give us this, this breath of air and make this time our individual and collective recalibration. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, convict us, convert us, consecrate us until we are free from the service of ourselves. May we be set free so we can be your servants to this world. Amen.
Would you sing this with me? It's your breath. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath. we respond to our great God. Let's confess our need for Him. Let's turn our eyes on Him.
never fail us, Lord. Sing, I may be weak. Cause I may be weak. Your spirit is strong in me. My flesh, my God, you Why don't you have a seat? If you filled out the communication card in that time, please, please pass it off to us in the Welcome Center in any of the baskets. If you want to pray with someone after the service, know we have, our, we have our encounter room, and I will remain here after the service as well. People, we're here to sit with you, to pray with you, to celebrate those places of self-control, to celebrate those places where the Spirit has come alive in you. Today I want to end our series with an Old Testament reading. Listen as I read. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded of me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. 
do you need to hear that your bones can live again? The Lord God that created us can recreate us. So can these bones live? Oh, Lord God, you know. And so church, rise to your feet. Go in the spirit of love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next week as we start a new series.